Hi there, folks. This is Abel James, and thank you so much for listening to the Fat Burning Man Show. Today, I'm privileged to present you with Stephanie Ruper, the woman behind PaleoForWomen.com, and she's been causing quite a stir lately, which has been a lot of fun to watch. We need all the independent thinkers that we can get, and Stephanie definitely has a big heart and a big mind, and I'm excited to hear what the future holds for her. I was also surprised and excited to learn when she introduced herself at Harvard this past weekend at the awesome Ancestral Health Symposium that we actually went to the same small school in New Hampshire for a while, which is a pretty cool little connection. Now, a quick announcement before we get to the show with Stephanie. I wanted to let you guys know that I'm finally carving out the time to put together a Best of Podcasts CD collection, so stay tuned for that. And if you're interested, hop on over to fatburningman.com and enter your email, and I'll be sure to keep you updated. I know a lot of you have been waiting for that, and I'm sorry I've been dragging my feet. It's a long to-do list, but I promise to have it out to you soon. All right, so in today's show, Stephanie and I talk about the difference between fat loss and caloric restriction in the female and male bodies, how to use dirt as sunblock, why Stephanie gave up being a vegetarian and finally ate an egg, and how intermittent fasting can make you cranked, fat, and sick. And of course, tons more. All right, let's go hang out with Steph. All right, we're here with my favorite fiery feminist in the paleosphere, Miss Stephanie Ruper. How are you, Steph? Abel, that was a pithy and beautiful introduction. I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm awesome. How is Cambridge right now? Uh, dirty. It always gets a little dirty after it rains, so I'm staying indoors today. That's probably for the best because you walk around barefoot anyway, right? <laughs> you know, I do, but honestly, it's a bit of trouble because so many people shout at me in the streets when I don't have shoes on. <laughs> Yeah, I could see that being a little awkward. I do that myself, but uh, it's a lot easier to do it in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire than it is in downtown Austin. (laughs) Well, yeah, totally. I mean, I lived in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire for a while, too, and I just carried a pair of flip-flops, or actually sometimes I just had cardboard flats that I could, like, rope to my feet and keep them in my back (laughs) pocket. I did that in New Hampshire, but here, I, uh, I live near a lot of homeless people, and they they get upset with me. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> it's natural. You don't right? have shoes. I don't have shoes. I'm not posing. I'm just not wearing shoes. All right, quickly. Let's let's start with why you do that. I certainly have my reasons, but but why don't you wear shoes from time to time? Wow, that's a a super personal question. I mean, for most people, I would argue for many people, it has a lot to do with posture and with knee pain, and that's true for me. I have a hard time running and walking in shoes, and I get, I do get extraordinary knee pain when I wear boots, like hiking boots. Right. But I also, I really love feet. I love feet maybe a bit more than it's appropriate to talk about on your podcast. Um, (laughs) Yeah, remember, I'm not explicit. (laughs) Right, right. So uh, I grew up as a dancer, and I believe strongly in in our feet's ability to connect us to the ground and to propel us. And it's very organic for me. And yeah, my feet are super important to me. And so it enables me to feel more connected to the earth as Mm -hmm. well as to feel more holistic with my whole body to not wear shoes. I wore shoes all weekend at AHS, (laughs) you'll remember. So, right. um, (laughs) Right. So certainly I can wear them, but I really love repping the barefoot life. Yeah. That's actually one of the things that got me a bit closer to this lifestyle in the first place. I had terrible shin splints and I was always a runner um 
And so I had shin splints, knee problems, IT band, all of this sort of crap until I took my shoes off and started running barefoot. And then all of a sudden I got faster and stronger and I had this, you know, it's, it's all because you can't really run or even walk wrong when it's just your feet. Uh, because you get this feedback that's totally unique that otherwise is dulled in some way when you're wearing those cushy shoes. So yeah, I, I, I totally salute you in your barefoot pursuits. Thank you. Likewise. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, I, I love to start with uh, just the backstory of the person who's on the show. So uh, let's pretend it's a DOC trip for a second and okay. let's do a, a two minute life story as it relates to uh, nutrition and your, your current um, your current bouts in the paleosphere. Okay. It's 407. So I'll stop at 409. <laughs> Deal. Okay. I got into paleo a few years ago after having been a vegetarian and a severe caloric and fat restrictor for many years. Mm -hmm. And my mother turned me on to paleo and I was so married to vegetarianism, both for the sake of sustainability on the planet, as well as for animal rights that I resisted initially before I heard the arguments, but then I read a little bit of Nora Good Goddess's Primal Body, Primal Mind. Right. And I, I resisted for a while. I was trying to be super fair and I was being super fair, you know, but like I tell people often by page 60, I was like, I threw my hands up and I was like, okay, that's it. So I began eating, <laughs> I'm eating steak. <laughs> well, it took me a while to get, to really get into animals. I did eggs mostly for a long mm -hmm. time, which is a totally healthy way, I think, and good way to help vegetarians transition yeah, it is. into the lifestyle. So I did that. About a year later, I felt as though the paleosphere could use more female voices. So I started a blog and I wrote there for a while, but I ended up focusing mostly on disordered eating because that was something I knew a lot about because of my own experience. Mm -hmm. And I had been an eating disorder counselor in college. Right. And um, from there, I also had a hormone problem. I had been diagnosed with a hormone problem when I lost a lot of weight called PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. So throughout all this time, I had been researching it and trying to figure it out. And I learned a lot about female endocrine health. And I had a science background from my undergraduate education. So I began applying that. And recently, I was just thinking, it was actually only 10 weeks ago, I started a new website and felt confident enough speaking about women's health issues finally, as mm -hmm. well as disordered eating and knowing the paleosphere quite well and being able to speak to it in all of its facets. So I started a new website, paleoforwomen.com, and I've been writing there now, and I spend a little bit of time counseling women and speaking with women. I have forums that... Women come to and ask questions, nitty gritty questions about menstruation and getting pregnant and all of these things that I can help them with. But it's also very important to me, the psychological piece of healing and especially weight loss, trying to help women love themselves as they're moving forward. I don't believe it's possible to be physically or psychologically healthy without the other one, right. maybe for a short time period, but I believe they're both necessary. And so we, we try to work on both in the community. And so far it's been going really well. And I feel super blessed to be surrounded by such powerful women. Yeah. And it's uh, already huge, which I think is totally awesome because it's very much needed. And you didn't start it up because you had an ax to grind. 
you know it's like this is something that was definitely like a gap in the space because otherwise people are left having to listen to doofuses like rob wolf and i and that's not what you what you need you definitely need uh especially one of the things that i liked when i first saw your blog was that you you kind of catch people on this sex-based oversight right Right. and and so it's we really need that to keep us honest and one of the things that Actually, the first time I saw your your blog, it was the fasting piece. So let's let's start with that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your personal take on fasting, uh, both for men and for women, because uh, I know you have some choice opinions. I do have choice opinions, and I please stop me and tell me to shut up or ask me questions if I get <laughs> uh, a little too out there or too scientific or something. I tried fasting a lot in my own life. I've always been a perfectionist, like a wide, a wide variety of paleo dieters. I've always been a perfectionist and I was trying really hard to hack my health and to find an optimal lifestyle. And so I began experimenting with fasting a couple of years ago. I gained weight. I got even worse sleep problems than I had had before. I obsessed about food more than I had before, you know, especially coming from that disordered eating background, although I... (laughs) I firmly believe, and statistics back me up, that nearing 80% of people at least have a somewhat disordered relationship with food, women, adult women. So that's 80%. a lot. Wow. Well, have body image issues that end up being tied with food. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I believe is <laughs> it's pretty easy to lose sight of what intuitive eating is. And so I think that people dip in and out of that yeah. pretty pretty regularly. So mm-hmm. fasting was uh, did not make that better for me. I did that for a very long time. And then I realized that a lot of the restriction that I had been doing in terms of fasting, in terms of calorie restriction, in terms of carbohydrate restriction and body weight restriction and over exercising, there's a long list. I had been doing all of them. I started to wonder if it was not just neutral for me, but actively detrimental to my health. And I reversed some of them. I started eating carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Um, I started eating a little bit more frequently and I started to feel better. And so I thought about the research that had been done on fasting. And I know a lot about the neurobiology of eating and what causes people to overeat. And especially for women with regard to their menstrual cycles. And there's a lot of research on calorie restriction. And I thought, wait, what about fasting? Like, what about fasting just for women? Mm-hmm. So I went back and I read posts and things and I dug through them, the posts that had been used by the paleosphere to sort of back up or to advocate a fasting lifestyle, such as at Mark's Daily Apple. Yeah, you clobbered him. Who I call, yeah, yeah, I, I might have done that. It's okay. He's super gracious and kind and we, Yeah, he's a cool dude. Yeah, he was totally cool with it. So, so I called Mark out because I looked through his post and I realized that places that he had cited as wonderful resources to promote fasting actually discussed the fact that fasting did not necessarily have the metabolic impacts for women, the positive impacts that it did for men, and in right. some cases may be actively detrimental, actually harming insulin sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So I was like, whoa. And then the rodent studies also show some pretty frightening things about women or sorry, female rats, some pretty frightening (laughs) things about female rats. And it makes sense. It lines up with the research that is done on calorie restriction, which is to say that when 
a woman's body detects a starvation response and it does so much more easily than a man's body does mm-hmm. because it's trying to protect its fat in order to have babies. Right. And so a woman, her memory improves. She gets a bit of a fasting high, mm-hmm. but she also stops sleeping very well. She might start obsessing over food because there are certain neurobiological mechanisms that are telling her, like, eat, eat, eat more right. strongly than they were before. You're starving. <laughs> right. Literally. Right. You are literally starving. Please feed me. And mm-hmm. so... This had not been discussed in the paleosphere before. I sort of pointed it out. And I'm also gently. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> and I'm super glad that I've been able to do this service because while many women talk about how fasting has been great for them, and of course, men, I believe that we should move forward with caution. There's very mm-hmm. few studies out there done on fasting. And so it's hard to say what's better and what's worse for certain people. And I think that the difference between a normal weight and an overweight woman is a big and important difference. And sure. I believe that the difference between stressed and unstressed women is very important. And so what I do is just advocate that women use caution with fasting and not walk into it thinking that it's going to solve all of their woes because I don't think it will. Yeah. And that's a really good point because especially when all these paleo folks are dabbling in the fringe, it's, it's tempting to say, Oh, this, this, uh, new or this sexy thing right now is totally awesome and it rocks and you should try it. Right. But what we also need is someone to be like, wait a second, what, (laughs) what does the research actually say and why does it rock? You know? And so it was really cool because no one had really, I I hadn't seen it that way. It was was actually one of uh, my, my coaching students on my website sent me a link to your article and they're just like, what do you think about this? And uh, I read it and I'm like, I think this is great. We really do need to look at this. Now, some of the issues too are not necessarily that, uh, that fasting, that the research is saying that fasting is, is good or bad, but they're just as isn't that much research right now you know it's on rodents or it's on alternate day fasting which is pretty Mm -hmm. hardcore stuff so you kind of have to define like what what are we talking about exactly because you know there's so many different styles there's the like compressing the eating window or eating one meal a day or there's alternate day fasting there's fasting once a month for 24 hours and it's it's uh, kind of a squishy concept and i think we need to hammer down a little bit what exactly we mean uh, and you, you mentioned something too, when you first started it, you were doing too much. Yeah. Well, I was doing too much of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I tend to act in extremes. And so, I mean, I wasn't eating carbohydrates. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how many calories I was eating. I've tried to forget how many calories are in every kind of food exists, but I can't. So <laughs> I generally know precisely how many calories I'm eating, yeah. but yeah, I, it did not go well for me. And I did try playing with that and, I never did a strict regiment, but just I would not eat and say, yeah. well, I don't need to eat now. The paleosphere says I don't need to, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to. And actually, maybe it would be better for me if I don't. And that didn't go very well. And I will say that anecdotally, there have been very many women who I've spoken with and who have commented on the blog post and things that you're referring to. Mm-hmm. That fasting did not work for them either. And under a wide variety of ways of practicing it, women have 
you know, shared that information with me. And mm-hmm. in fact, I know some who have stopped fasting and then regained regularity in their menstrual cycles or their sleeping or their blood sugar, like their morning blood sugar actually mm-hmm. got better when they stopped fasting. So yeah. And that's amazing. One of, the, one of the problems that I've had with people who are just like, Oh, fasting, I'm going to do it. <laughs> they, they do it and they actually feel great. Like you said, mentally alert and I can, totally relate to this. What I typically do is like a 24 hour fast. I don't know, a couple times a month. I've tried the lean gains approach. It's, it's that one is typically a minefield. And what I see people do is they'll, they'll try the 24 hour fast. They'll really like it. They'll feel this surge of energy, which is, you know, related to the adrenals, mm-hmm. um, which, which can feel good, but it can actually be a bad thing, especially over time. So they're just like, oh, the 24 was too long. So I'm just going to switch to the 12. And this is all in the same week. And then they go back to the 24. And it's like, hold on a second. At the end of the week, you've had like four meals. <laughs> you need to uh-huh. eat food. And so, yeah, it can be a very tricky thing to kind of work into your lifestyle. And, uh, and I'm really glad that you pointed it out. Uh, it, but you didn't actually write it because of the research it was because uh, wasn't it because of the people who had spoken to you through the forums and uh, that you've coached in the past? Well, no, it was in response to my writing about fasting that women came out of the woodwork and started being like, "Yeah, holy crap!" Like oh, I agree okay. with you. Yeah, I I undertook the research because I saw the gap that needed to be filled. So very interesting. So you didn't really anticipate this enormous response then? No, I was, it was kind of a shot in the dark. Wow. I I explored the research and I wrote about what I found. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know. I had no idea what to expect. Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, it's going to be fun to see what happens with that in the, uh, you know, we were on Twitter and actually how I was introduced to you also is through Twitter because I had Brad Pilon who's, you know, like the fasting guru on the podcast a while back. He's uh-huh. great dude. And uh, I'm looking forward to, he, he said he's going to cover that in his in the next episode, some of the the sex differences as it relates to uh, to fasting. But yeah, is I mean, he, he is. I, I certainly hope uh, that it comes out soon because it's definitely lots of people. There are lots of question marks in their heads right now. But I can say, you know, just oh. theoretically, when you take a step back, it makes sense that uh, men's bodies and, and female bodies would respond in a completely different way to this sort of thing. I mean, when you look at the body fat and how far it can go down before it affects fertility for men, it's it's almost a joke. You know, you can be like three and a half percent body fat, whereas with women, it's a completely different story. So it, let's talk about you did a um, you got down to a, a, a lower body fat using calorie restriction. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what caused all sorts of problems. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so my personal experience is that I think probably stress was a metabolic um, impact on my life for a long time. And I also think that I may have some inherent ovarian problem, some inherent insulin signaling problem that I'm maybe just a part of my genetic code. So Mm -hmm. when I lost a lot of weight, this was in the fall of 2009. I lost, well, it wasn't a lot. I lost 30 pounds in three months. That's pretty quick. Yeah. Well, I went from <laughs> 135 to 105. Wow. And I'm 5'2", yeah. and I have a fair bit of muscle. Mm-hmm. And I was eating no fat, and I was a vegetarian, and I was exercising for several hours every day. Mm-hmm. And in November of 2009, I experienced my last period, 
and I maintained that low body fat level. This was before I went paleo, right? And I switched mm-hmm. to paleo and I kind of thought that would fix it. Right. <laughs> that would fix my all of my hormone problems. My sex drive would come back. My acne would go away. Both of these problems arising concurrently with the weight loss. Mm-hmm. But it did not, right? And yeah. at that time, paleo was being sold as a bit of a wonder cure. Yeah. That was disillusioning at the time. And mm-hmm. I think many people, when they undertake a paleo diet, experience that. Not everybody. I do believe that it's hugely salvific and in very many ways. But sometimes we have health problems that are not quite ready to be fixed, that take a long time to be healed, mm-hmm. um, that we're maybe we're doing other things in our lives, such as being stressed out, which can be, play a huge physiological role in oh, our totally. health. Yeah. So I did not start seeing improvements in my health status until I put on weight, which was... I started that about eight months ago and I've put on, I don't know, I don't look at scales. I moved from a size double zero to a size <laughs> zero or one or mm-hmm. three. <laughs> so yeah. not a huge difference and I'm not cured. And I am actually planning on writing a post about this this week about the progress I've made in the real status of my health because people ask me all of the time. Right feeling much better and super psyched about it. And so from that experience and from the loads of research I've done and the people that I've worked with in my practice, et cetera, I do feel confident speaking about these issues for other people, but I'm not cured Mm -hmm. and I still haven't started menstruating naturally Mm -hmm. and all of these things. It's a long road and that's a big piece of what I talk about with the women in my community is that Hormonal progress takes a long time and fixing our relationship with food takes a long time. And so Mm -hmm. what we need to focus on is progress and getting better and being grateful for all the progress that we've made and not being upset with ourselves that we haven't quite gotten to where we'd like to be yet. Yeah. Hormonal damage can happen quickly, but fixing it can be a long, a long road. Yeah. But I I think it's great that you're so open and talking about these things because it's, I think quite honestly, we do need more of that. And we were talking about about that at AHS a little bit, you and I, that uh, <clears throat> a lot of people sell paleo as, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread, but it's not a cure-all necessarily. And there are inherent problems with it. And uh, one I think that you'd probably be good to talk to about would be uh, low libido. And that's that's a thing that I get tons of emails about from a lot of my listeners, um, especially men. Uh, where they go on a very strict paleo diet, totally restrict carbs, are exercising tons, and they're like, all of a sudden, I don't really think about sex that much. This can be an issue for some people, right? It was an issue for me. (laughs) I did the same thing. Um, If I go hardcore paleo for too long, it's like, I don't really care that much about sex. And it's, that's something that that people don't really talk about. So what's, what's your take on that? Um, I would actually, in response to what you said, when you say hardcore paleo, what do you mean by that? Okay. So I guess, um, very much restrictive, okay. low carb paleo. So like zero carbs. I think that's one of the main issues. Right. But we can get to that later. Well, it's, fa- yeah, we- <laughs> carbohydrates. <laughs> it's fascinating to me when people say hardcore paleo mm-hmm. or like I'm a hundred percent paleo versus 80%. What do you, what do people yeah, mean by mean? that? Right. Because from my perspective, a paleo diet means 
using evolution to craft hypotheses about what we should be eating right. and then eating for health. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm eating for health, if I'm 100% paleo, I had darn well <clears throat> better be eating enough calories yeah. and I had better be nourishing myself. Mm -hmm. That's what I advocate in my community is that we use the idea of a paleo diet and the idea of health to nourish ourselves. And for, from my perspective, that's the most hardcore paleo you can get. Right. You know, if you're having bone broth every day, if you're eating liver, if you're outside in the sun, all of these different things, I find that those are, from my perspective, the true paleo. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the restrictive paleo is paleo enacted under the umbrella, the painful and ugly and hurtful umbrella of American norms and restriction and dieting and all of these things that are not necessarily good for us psychologically mm -hmm. and clearly as uh, manifested in the sex issue not very good for us physiologically either right. right and there's a big difference between you know health and a six-pack absolutely and i write about that often that a perfect body is not necessarily a marker of health and i think most people would agree that your internal health it's hard to measure and so we use your body our bodies as mm -hmm. approximations for health and that's decent right we want mm -hmm. to be within a the normal range of body fat i'm using air quotes but you know <laughs> we want to be in the normal range yeah. there is a healthy range but leaner is not healthier necessarily right and uh, sorry go ahead well i was just going to say i know that if i get too lean uh my energy just drops to the bottom i i, I do not feel good at all. I, I can't perform, <clears throat> excuse me, nearly as well as I usually do. Uh, I am a bit foggy headed. And so it's, it, you do have to be careful not to overdo it. Absolutely. I was personally, I was surprised when you and I spoke super surprised when you told me that men experience libido problems on the paleo diet, because I know that women often do. Hmm. And I do think it's because of this restriction piece. And yeah. I did not really think that it would be the case for men as well. I suspect that there are some other hormonal things going on in terms of dietary changes and hormonal changes. Mm -hmm. You know, our bodies were totally primed by the diets we've eaten before. And so when we eat new things, um, especially in a restricted way, they can kind of freak out. But I do, I do believe that a healthy sex drive, there are, you know, certain hacks that you can undertake with food, right? Like mm -hmm. you can eat oysters and maybe that'll help. Okay. Great. But I hope that you're not planning on spending the rest of your life eating a thousand calories a day of oysters <laughs> so that you can be super skinny and still have a pleasurable sex life. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's the point. I, I, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I think there are better ways to optimize that. And I, I think what the problem is, is once you find that, say you've been, um, you know, struggling to maintain uh, in, in your mind an ideal body for years, you find paleo and all of a sudden you can drop tons of weight. And so you get to this point where you're like, well, how, how far can I push it? Yep. And I think that's where people really start to encounter problems. And then, so I get these emails uh, from folks or I, I talk to people on the phone. They're just like, yeah, I have the best body in my life. I look amazing. I'm not happy at all. And I don't care about sex. <laughs> and so because of that, they're just like, it puts everything in jeopardy. I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. I'm going to go to McDonald's. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. <laughs> just eat a sweet potato. <laughs> you know? And, and that's what it is. It's more the uh, the restriction because once you arrive, right, at, at a healthy point, you need to stay there and and switch from this 
uh, fat loss mentality to a quality of life, right? Right. Several things. I wish I were taking notes so I remember everything that I wanted to respond to. I think most importantly from my perspective is sort of what you just articulated between as a difference between a weight loss mentality and a healthy mentality. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that a weight loss mentality is necessarily healthy for us. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that sometimes it's really awesome to get into that groove and be like, I'm doing great. I'm rocking progress. I'm eating so many calories a day or I'm dropping so many pounds a week. For some people that works really well and they can come out of that unscathed. But I believe that other people and particularly women have a lot of self-loathing involved in that process Mm -hmm. and too much discipline and a fear of kind of going outside of paleo or getting off the bandwagon. And we get sucked into these cycles of needing to be restrictive in order to lose weight. Mm -hmm. What I normally advocate that people do is focus on healing, right? I'm going to eat a paleo diet and heal my hormones, you know, my poor, my poor pituitary gland, right? (laughs) So (laughs) I need to like, you know, take my pituitary gland for a walk and like let it sit down in the park and comb it, you know. And That's cute. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. So my pituitary gland, it needs nourishment and my hypothalamus and all of these different things. So I encourage people to focus on healing and to not, I believe that weight loss is a byproduct of that. I believe that it happens naturally on whole foods, but for some of us, it takes more time based on how much damage we've done to our bodies from dieting throughout our lives. Like we know that the more we've dieted in the past, Mm -hmm. the harder it is to lose weight simply because our metabolisms are afraid of starving. Yeah, they're pissed off. Okay, I'm glad that I didn't know that word was acceptable. Oh, come on. So so what I encourage women to do normally is to love their bodies so much that they want to nourish them and that it's okay if progress is not quite as fast as they would like for it to be. But instead, to not beat ourselves up and say, okay, I got to go to the gym at six every day. I got to wake up and go to the gym at six. But instead, to ask our bodies, you know, some afternoon, hey, would you like to go for a run today? Yes, that sounds good. And I'm not doing it because I hate myself or I feel like I have to, Mm -hmm. but rather because I'm getting more energy on this diet and I'm excited and we're going to do this together and we're not going to feel pressure to have to conform to an ideal and certainly not within a certain time frame. Yeah. Yeah, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) We have this this terrible thing and um, I know it's in America and I know I have a lot of international listeners. I'd be interested in hearing if if this is the case in other places around the world, but where the food marketing has totally embraced this, the idea of guilt and like Mm -hmm. guilty pleasures where if you have this mentality, then you're going in and like you're restricting your diet all day and then at night you just lose it and you go take a pint of ice cream into the closet and shut the door, stuff it down your throat. Then the next morning you feel guilty. So you tie yourself to a treadmill for two, two hours. And that's something that we need less of. <laughs> and paleo people totally do this too. Totally, um, totally. And so many people undertake the paleo diet and say that they're doing it for health, mm-hmm. but I don't think that we are. I certainly wasn't. I was using it, you know, I was using health, air quotes again, health as a guise for feeling sexy when I went out at night, mm-hmm. even though that's not what may have made me attractive if I was, right? I don't, I really don't believe that 
being leaner necessarily makes women more attractive. And I love that you brought up the guilt piece. I find that, and I started writing about this a very long time ago, right mm-hmm. when I started blogging um, at my first website, that we are raised in a culture that tries to make us consume things in order to feel better about ourselves. That's true, yeah. Because self-esteem is something that we all desperately crave and we all want to be confident and we want to be beautiful. And so, and we want to eat, you know, all of these different foods. And so if, if society can convince us that we're less or that, you know, we should indulge in this product or indulge in this food in order to give us just that little kick of pleasure of dopamine in our brain from, you know, eating a pound of cheesecake or (laughs) (laughs) I do that sometimes or, you know, as they're actually, (laughs) well, yes. So, but as they're actually advertising, you know, endorse, uh, indulge in a hundred calorie snack pack Mm -hmm. with Oreos, for example, and all of this focus on indulgence and guilt and the norm for women, especially, but also for all Americans, the norm to be one of, um, of self-consciousness and of needing to restrict and of not giving ourselves right of denying ourselves what we want. Mm -hmm. It's hugely detrimental and it sits deep in all of our psyches. Yeah. Okay. So how did you actually gain weight on a paleo diet? I started eating when I was hungry, which was (laughs) how about that? I was revolutionary. (laughs) And honestly, I hadn't done that since I was 13 or 14 years really? old. Wow. Oh yeah, I mean I just stopped listening and I didn't I didn't because I stopped listening, I didn't really know what hunger sounded like anymore. I yeah. didn't. I asked people all of the time, all of the time. And there's also this huge push in our culture telling us to eat when we're hungry and stop when we're full. Mm-hmm. And I agree, right? Like I totally, I totally agree, but I didn't know what that meant. And they would, people would also say, don't eat when you're bored. Don't eat when you're tired. Don't eat when you're sitting around. Don't eat at all of these different times. Only eat when you're hungry. And so I always thought that I was never hungry and it was not Mm. okay to eat if I just kind of felt like it. It was only okay to eat if I felt like my stomach was eating itself from the inside out. I know that feeling. Right. And so I, that's what I did for a very long time. And what happens to so many women is that when, and men, definitely men, many more women, is that when we eat less, both psychologically and physiologically, we feel like we need to eat more. Mm-hmm. And we feel deprived and we think about food and we become obsessive and then we overeat and then we feel guilty about it because it was our fault and we caved and we shouldn't have caved. And so then we restrict and we feel a little bit better, but willpower is a limited resource and only Mm -hmm. lasts so long. And then we eat a lot more again because when the willpower dies, our bodies are crying for nourishment. And this cycle makes us, makes it almost impossible for us to eat intuitively. Yeah. And so I started, now for me, it was very difficult because I was in control and I had been raised to think that being fat was disgusting. And so putting on weight was a deliberate effort Mm -hmm. and psychologically it was traumatic. Yeah. Once I started, and I like, I looked in the mirror and I would see something bigger than what I had been. And all of us, I think we have a, tr- we have trouble 
it's impossible for us to be objective about what we look like. And so getting bigger than I had been, of course, meant fat. And I actually, I, I, one day I was like, well, this isn't too bad. And I took pictures on my computer and I never do that. I never like to mark progress or anything. Mm -hmm. And that was back in February. And I look back now and I still think that I looked a little skeletal, you know, and I think to myself, you know what I, because I'm wearing the same clothing, yeah, I am probably still the same size as I was in that photograph, even though wow. I think that I've put on so much weight. That's interesting. Yeah. And so putting on weight, I have become a intuitive eater far mm-hmm. more than I ever was. And I do believe that I've made significant progress with eating. I don't obsess over food. I eat things when I'm hungry. When I kind of feel just a little bit of a desire to eat, I let myself do it. I think that that's something, especially people who are recovering from issues like I am, from having been so restricted, I think that's something we need to do is just eat when we get the slightest inclination. And when we start doing that, it's scary. And we can move slowly and then we can back up and restrict if we have to in order to protect ourselves from the psychological demons dancing around in our brains. Mm -hmm. But slowly over time, those mechanisms, regaining trust in hunger drives, Mm -hmm. it totally happens. It's happened to me. I've seen it happen to other women. What we have to do is just move forward. And sure, we might slip up and way overeat more than we wanted to, but that's fine. Mm -hmm. It's a learning process, right? And so every single day we're learning more about what hunger feels like and what certain kinds of restriction feel like and how we can better embrace our natural drives and love and nourish our natural bodies. Yeah. I know you've nerded out on this plenty, so I'm going to ask you, what is hunger? (laughs) Um. (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting so jay stanton at Mm knowles.org writes on hunger a lot and he spoke about hunger at ahs this weekend and he and i started having conversations about hunger when he first started blogging because i actually started before he did and oh wow yeah and he found my work and he was like i'm interested in hunger and it not that many people in the paleosphere are so Mm -hmm. why don't you and i have a conversation And he's been wonderful. He and I have been in personal correspondence about hunger for several months, for several years now. And I would refer you to him if you want to know about all of the different scientific ways of studying hunger and what people think and know. In my opinion, hunger is us. And by us, I mean not just our bodies and not just our brains but us holistically needing food. Maybe our body is like 80% of it and our brain is 20 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I believe that we need nourishment for a wide variety of reasons. And I think that we should listen to that all of the time. I believe that we get hungry because we have micronutrient deficiencies that we need calories that were too low body fat. I mean, there's a huge variety of reasons, but it all has to do with us needing nourishment, which includes energy. And I believe that that's a natural drive that when we eat a diet full of whole foods Mm -hmm. and when we're not mentally flagellating ourselves for our eating habits and for needing to lose weight, 
I believe that those are natural things that work well and that naturally lead to weight loss. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about uh, body image too. This is just an absolute fascinating one that uh, especially like anyone, males and females, um, tend to struggle with it in different ways. Now, uh, so for example, I know I've talked with a lot of bodybuilder types and they'll get down to, you know, 5% body fat and they're like there's this one little thing that I just cannot get to go away like right below the belly button there's like this little pouch and it's all I can think about and it's like dude you're a bodybuilder get over it (laughs) but I I mean I see the same thing when I look in the mirror it there's always that niggling thing so what what do you do about that and how do you uh, get a positive relationship with your body (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to have all the answers, but let's talk through this a little bit. You know what's funny? I think that I do. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't have all of the answers, but I have a method that I think works. Right. Not a method, several methods. And I share little tricks on my blog every Friday. Um, By little tricks, I mean profound and life-changing tricks. Mm -hmm. How does one have a positive body image? A big piece of it for me, I think, is recognizing how external our personal ideals are. It's really interesting to me. I've been in conversation with many paleo and fitness people before who have said, well, it's okay if you have an ideal so long as it is a personal ideal and it is not shaped by society, etc. Well, I find that problematic for several reasons. One, it's still based on how you look. And if an ideal is based on how you look and not how you feel, Mm -hmm. I think you're probably going to run into problems super fast. And it's we base these ideals on our looks because in our heads, that's what's going to make us get loved. Yeah. People will love us if we look pretty. Wrong. Wrong. (laughs) Well, right. Wrong. And that's problematic for another reason, which is we still have an ideal. Mm -hmm. Why do we need to why do we need to have an ideal if we're healthy and if we feel good an ideal is not it's not relevant it's not relevant at all Mm -hmm. the notion of ideal kills me I think it's horrible I think what's more important is to think about our bodies and love them not based on how they look And I'm not, this isn't to say that I'm advocating that people who are overweight just love their overweight body and don't do anything to try and fix it because Mm -hmm. that is a part of health and that is a part of us feeling good. Like there is a range of being super sexy based on your body and it's hard for people to feel that way when they're obese. So Mm -hmm. I advocate that people love their bodies as a physical body that enables them to live and to breathe and to do whatever we like to do, to read, to run, to jump, to be alive, right? Like that's pretty yeah. phenomenal. And we need to love those things and to take care of those things such that we can have a loving and positive existence. And so that's a really big piece of it. I believe that an emphasis on health, right? As we've been talking about rather mm-hmm. than looks is important. I believe that acceptance letting go of perfectionism is a huge piece you know and i of course this is perfectionism applied to the body but applied to everything and when we're perfectionists i think we need to ask ourselves the questions why Mm -hmm. 
Why do I need to be perfect? Do I need to be perfect in order to be loved? Do I need to be perfect because someone betrayed me and I'm all alone? Do I need to be perfect because I don't believe in God and that scares me? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is for us as an individual, perfectionism is a really big deal. And we need to think sincerely about why we do that. And I think we also need to think deeply about the society in which we live. We need to think deeply about norms of restriction and discipline that Mm -hmm. we grew up in and how it's more moral and it's exemplary if we are in control of ourselves and if we can lose weight and be fat and sorry, and be thin and not be fat. And those are all important, super important things. I believe that God, uh, having things in our lives that we're passionate about, that we can commit ourselves to externally, helps us stop thinking about that. I believe that not looking in the mirror is a huge piece of that. Many people like to look in the mirror and to shower love on certain parts of themselves. Mm -hmm. And if that helps you love yourself more, that's great. But from my experience, it's really helpful for me and for other people to just not look, to trust that we're fine, to trust that we're sexy, to trust that we will be loved, to just not look. I think that we should ask people when they tell us they love us, Mm -hmm. we should say, why did you say that just now? (laughs) It would be very helpful for me if you would tell me why you love me Hmm. or why you like me, et cetera. And to think about ourselves as more than this physical being upon whose, upon a physical ideal kind of sort of, we're trying to get love. And I think that's a really big piece of it. And so, so much of my work, I would say 90% of my work, even when I'm writing about ovaries and estrogen production, and (laughs) all of my work is driven by a desire to get women and men to love themselves enough to get out of that trapped mindset, Mm -hmm. to love themselves enough to get out of needing to be something and enabling us to have and to fulfill our potential. I like that. That's that's awesome, Steph. <laughs> there are a few things. I wish I were taking notes. I, I kind of am, actually. But uh, what you mentioned about the mirror was something that I was thinking about, about very recently, especially in the light of going to the Ancestral Health Symposium and thinking about what it would be like to actually live outside of these traditional societal norms of today where you have scales and mirrors and reflective objects and technologies everywhere. What would it be like to actually be in the middle of nowhere um, without technology? And things like mirrors wouldn't really exist. You would, you'd be hard pressed to find a perfect image of yourself reflected. And thus it would be almost impossible to be obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad you said that. So something that was, hugely transformative for me, not hugely, but I remember this and I of course always will, is that I lived for three months one time without a mirror. I lived uh, in the Sangre de Cristo wilderness in Colorado for three months doing trail work. So cool. Thanks. And I didn't shower the whole time. And For three months? Well, I mean, there was like, (laughs) there was a pond that we rolled around in from time to time and it rained. So, wow. uh, yeah, and I had a little like a little thing of organic soap that kind of we like you know whatever we used dirt as SPF. So that was <laughs> that's pretty, primal. That's pretty primal. Yeah, <laughs> and this was totally. I mean, I was a vegetarian and we ate tofu and Snickers bars the whole time. But yeah. you know, um, <laughs> oops. 
so I lived on a mountaintop and I, I didn't look in a mirror the whole time. And the whole time I was totally crushing on this one guy and I really cared about what he thought of me, but there was nothing I could do about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And we got out and I went, we got pizza like at this backcountry place outside of Colorado Springs. And I went in the bathroom and I like grabbed the sink. I'm like almost fell over. I'm like, who is that? <laughs> I didn't recognize myself. Wow. And when, and when I looked, I thought I was attractive. It's like that stranger looking back at me, if I walked past this person in the street, I think that person's attractive. And I am so certain that as human beings who want love and who want joy, we focus on our flaws because we want them to go away. Mm-hmm. But nobody else does, right? Nobody else does. Everybody's too worried about their own. And so I almost consider it a personal responsibility for myself to step outside of that mm-hmm. and to break down that wall and to stop worrying about my flaws. And I do try to not look in the mirror and it's wonderful. And then when I do, it's so, it's just, it's way less intuitive focusing on a flaw. It doesn't come naturally because I'm not doing it all of the time. It's almost a habit to mm. obsess over these things. Wow. I yeah. love that. You know, and that makes me think of being a musician when, uh, you know, I would play a three hour show <laughs> and I would record it. And the one thing I would remember about it is that I like flubbed a note on one of the songs mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. you know my uh, my friends or family or, or fans would come up to me and be like oh that was great i'd be like yeah whatever not really i totally screwed up or whatever but they just watched a three-hour show <laughs> and so what i would do is is um you know not listen to it for a while and every once in a while I'll, I'll take a step back and listen to something i played a long time before and when you do that when you remove yourself from focusing on those immediate transient flaws you can when you listen to it again you accept the beauty in the whole instead of these stupid little flaws. (laughs) Because the truth of the matter is that no one really notices anyway. Those things that you obsess about when you're looking at yourself all the time, when you step out of that, you see the the way that other people see you, which is the whole. Right. And, and here's the thing. We're human, Abel, you know, like we are human beings and I don't want to think about us in terms of flaws and positive attributes. I think that's, I think that's silly. I think that's something that we impose on ourselves. I don't think it's necessary. I think we just need to exist. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? Well, I do try. (laughs) Now you mentioned another thing, which uh, made me think of, of this, which is a nice little quick saying, optimize the way you feel not the way that you look. Yes. And man, I, I haven't really thought about that in a while because it's so tempting, especially when, um, you know, you go to these paleo conferences or something like that. And pretty much most of the people who are walking around are, are pretty hot or as hot as they can be. And when you look at it in terms of body image, but how many of them are feeling their best? <laughs> how many of them are doing it to optimize the way that they feel? So they're, they're at their happiest, at their strongest, at their most, uh, most, emotionally stable (laughs) like i i bet it's not most of them i would bet it's not most of them and you know in response to ahs this weekend and what you just said i would like to point out for everybody that people like the paleo sphere is totally hot totally but 
not models, not perfect. And, <laughs> you know, and some of us get pimples from time to time. And some of us have splotchy looking skin or some of us have weight on our hips, God forbid, right? I mean, it's not, sometimes we look really, really great and we're not doing that to optimize our health. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we look beautiful because we're like, we're a good package in the whole. And I saw both of those things at the symposium this weekend. Yeah. And one of the things that I'd like to talk about a little bit, it must have been so interesting for you, especially because uh, you came out of nowhere. And I know what that's like, because that was my paleo effects earlier. But you see all of these, and I'm using air quotes here, like ancestral health celebrities, and you expect this one thing, and then you see them, and you realize that they also drink tequila and eat too much chocolate sometimes and are waking up like one of the things that I was I was worried about because I'm a coffee fiend total type a perfectionist also and so like I just sometimes I drink too much coffee and I'm like oh man like are they going to have that at this conference because I might need it and uh thankfully they did and one of the funniest things about it is that the people who are huddling around the coffee stations are a lot of the people who are running the blogs or the, the podcasts or writing the books. These people mm -hmm. who you think of in your mind as being absolutely perfect, whereas that is just not the case. Yeah, totally. Uh, you must have read what I said about AHS because I talked about tequila and chocolate. <laughs> and I think that's very important. And the reason I brought yeah. that up is because I want everybody to know that paleo is not this big, scary restrictive thing life sentence and, yeah and yeah. what i said in that post was we paleo leaders and myself personally i because i believe in health drink tequila sometimes because i believe that health is holistic and my life is more enriched when i can have a wild time in a barn and that isn't to say that the dinner in the barn was wild it was low-key and beautiful and thank you diana rogers for throwing together a beautiful event yeah thank you that was awesome <laughs> right so i believe that because i believe in health i will do things like that from time to time mm -hmm. and i also want to say quickly that you called yourself a perfectionist too but i I am a recovered perfectionist <laughs> i'm in i'm in perfectionists anonymous oh my god I should do that. Wait, is that a that. thing? It is now. I coined that. I coined, Don't you up. steal that. I coined that. I'm going to actually start that. Okay. Uh, I coined something too. And it's that I'd rather be prolific than perfect. And I'm trying to live by that now. And, and actually, that was one of the guiding principles of putting out uh, my blog at first, my book, my, my podcast, because you can't ever be perfect. And it's more nope. important just to put things out there that will help as many people as you can. And who cares if you flub a note from time to time, so to speak? Yeah, or far worse. You know, we're still human and we're still doing our best. And that's all we could ever possibly ask of ourselves. Yeah. Now, I can't believe that it's already been like an hour, but it has. And I have like this whole list of things that I want to go through with you. So I'll definitely have to have you back. But before we go, is there anything else that, that you want to talk about specifically? Good question. I wasn't anticipating it, so I'm going to have to say no. <laughs> All right. Well, how about this? Why don't you talk about your blog for a second? Um, is there something in particular I should say about my blog? Why should um, someone go to it? Yeah. Why you should go to it. Okay. 
I love my blog. I love it very much. <laughs> and here's why. I do too. It's good. <laughs> It's, it's what I've been talking about this whole time, which is yeah. that I believe that health is holistic. And I believe that putting hard and honest and good science out there is important. And I do that. And I believe even more strongly that getting all of us to be in community, an empowered community, loving ourselves and fixing our relationships with food I think that that is even more important. And so there are several things that we do, right? I said that, like, I talk about self-love on Fridays and we have a forum at which you can troubleshoot your hormonal health, but you can also, you can talk about disordered eating or we have this system called Find a Buddy where you show up and you talk a bit about yourself and you say, I would like to pair up with somebody to help me and we can we can do this together. And that's been really successful for a lot of women. And so... If you think that you could benefit from that, please come over. Um, Consulting practice, a disordered eating consulting practice is coming in like six weeks. And we're super psyched about that. Awesome. And yeah, and there's another, uh, I do a podcast. It's called Live, Love, Eat. And what we do on the podcast is I just interview people about their relationships with food and their personal stories. Um, I've had several women on before. Jimmy Moore came on last week. I am having on... I love Jimmy. He's an amazing, wonderful, warm human being. I'm having on some other, it was amazing at AHS. So many people, lots of leaders in the movement came up to me and said, Steph, I used to be bulimic. Steph, I used to be anorexic. Steph, I am better now, but I used to have these horrible things. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's still a part of me. It's always a part of all of us, but Yeah, so we're going to be forthcoming having some of your favorite paleo leaders on the podcast talking about their own journeys with food. And hopefully that will not just empower people, continue empowering people through sharing in the journeys of other people, but also teach us that no one is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of what we got going on. And we're super excited about it. Much needed and very cool. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Steph. This has been awesome. And I mean it. You uh, you better come back on soon. Yeah, you uh, <laughs> don't have to ask me twice. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks so much, Steph. Yeah, take care. If you want to hear more from Stephanie Ruper, check out paleoforwomen.com. And I highly encourage you to take a look at her post on intermittent fasting. Or you can just hop over to the show notes at fatburningman.com and I'll point you right to it. We have some super exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks. So stay tuned and I'll be talking to you guys soon. Cheers. Cheers.